All right, you ready for this? Ready. Tom Salemi, Editorial Director of Device Talks. Welcome back. This is episode four of Device Talks Weekly. I'm going to do things a bit differently this time around. I'm going to lead most of the conversation. I did speak with my co-host, Chris Newmarker. He's the executive editor of Life Sciences here at Device Talks and Mass Device. But I wanted to really delve more deeply into Medtronic's decision to release its designs for its Puritan ventilator. And Medtronic really wanted to uh, create an open source opportunity for those others who are trying to develop ventilators to meet the growing and dire demand. Medtronic understandably received a lot of praise for the decision, but I wasn't quite sure what someone could get from those plans. So I talked to some experts. It's one of the benefits of this job is I'm able to call folks who know a lot more than I do and ask them about these issues. So in addition to Chris Newmarker, who's going to give us sort of an overview of what the device industry is doing to meet this demand. I spoke with several guests, engineers, and a lawyer about what the release of this information means. First, let's hear from Chris Newmarker. Chris is the executive editor of Life Sciences here at WTWH Media. Chris, just where is the medtech industry in producing ventilators and trying to meet this need? Well, Avamed put out numbers last night saying that its member companies that make ventilators are, are now churning out two to 2,000 to 3,000 ventilators per week. And, uh, you know, what, what's especially astounding about that is that, you know, it says those same companies were on average like only doing like 700 ventilators per week for domestic distribution last year. So, I mean, a big increase. And they're saying they're expecting to, you know, soon reach, you know, 5,000 to, to 7,000 ventilators per week. And that doesn't even include, uh, that doesn't even include like kind of like all these like outside companies, companies not in the medical device space that are kind of getting into this right now to, to produce ventilators, and especially like automakers like General Motors and, and Ford and, and Tesla. So, you know, I mean, that that's a hopeful sign. Um, I guess the flip side is that, you know, you have, you know, like even just like a state like New York alone saying it needs tens of thousands of ventilators now. So is, is this ramp up in production really enough? Next, let's hear from Brian Casadon. Brian's a partner at Finnegan, Henderson, Farabo, Garrett, and Dunner, one of our great sponsors of the Device Talks events. And Brian's an intellectual property pro. So I asked Brian what Medtronic's move means for others who would like to use Puritan's plans. Does this create an opportunity for them to make improvements? Who owns those improvements once they're done? How long is this license good for? There are a lot of questions, and Brian had many great answers. Let's listen. Well, Brian Kaysenon, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm trying to understand sort of from a legal perspective, how novel is this action by Medtronic? Is this something that's that you're aware of that's been done before on a public basis like this one, or is this somewhat unprecedented? I mean, I, I think it is somewhat unprecedented in the context of, you know, we're really dealing with an unprecedented crisis right now. And so uh, you generally only see these types of actions occurring in times of real national or international emergencies. So um, it's not that 
this type of thing has never happened before. We've seen examples of this. You can even go back to kind of World War One and World War Two, where um, companies have kind of opened up their facilities or made their intellectual property available to uh, even competitors just to be able to fulfill kind of a, an emergency need. But um, in terms of like within the last 30 or 40 years, this is very unusual. I can't recall really seeing this happen too often. So what exactly does this mean? They've issued a, I think it's a permissive license um, along with that. What does that suggest? Does that apply terms to this release? Well, I, I think what Medtronic is doing here is they're they're basically saying for the period of this crisis and the the permissive license based on a, a kind of brief review, it it has a term that says until the um, essentially the the World Health Organization declares that the public health emergency is over, or until October 2024 that. Um, this material can be used free of charge to create these ventilators for purposes of um, helping to treat uh, this crisis with respect to COVID-19. And so um, I think uh, you can look at it as, as essentially for the period of this emergency, they're, they're making this freely available to people, which is, I think, very admirable at this time. Um, but it's not necessarily opening it up for free to the whole world for the end of, till the end of time <laughs> in that same way. Sure. But the, the, the horse is out of the barn. People have downloaded the documents. I mean, I'm trusting the documents I downloaded onto my airbooks aren't going to self-destruct in five years. <laughs> the information is, is there. Um, it's just, obviously, folks can would, would still have access to it, but they just wouldn't be legally allowed to, to use it in any way after this uh, crisis uh, uh, transpires or after the five years pass. Yeah, that that's right, and and I think that is part of what makes this so interesting is is the recognition that yes, even after this period is over, um, Medtronic will still obviously have its intellectual property rights and and could seek to prevent others from using this outside of this license. But there is a certain amount that is that it will be difficult to control once it's out there, and so I think it highlights kind of both the, the situation we're in and, and also in some ways the generosity of Medtronic that they're kind of not worrying about those risks as much long-term and just making this making this available now and accepting that there may be some risk associated with it. So if I'm a client of yours and I say, I, I want to build ventilators, I want to use this this uh, information to, to, to help, what are sort of some... Um, something that people should be aware of in, in going forward. I mean, you're, 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 you'll have the plans from Medtronic, I guess there's a question as to, you know, how much of the secret sauce is revealed in these schematics, whether you can really just take it and, and run and next week or next month, start producing ventilators. But I guess my question to you is what would you advise a client uh, who says, I want to use this material to build ventilators? What would you warn them about or what would you at least ask them to consider before doing that? One of the things that they should first consider is that um, in in the permissive license, and, and this is not unusual at all, there, there is provisions that say if you are going to improve the ventilator or make modifications to it, that effectively you have to make those same modifications available under the same terms that Medtronic is making its own IP available. So in that way, it's almost very similar to like open source software licensing that we see. And so 
Um, one of the ramifications of that, again, there's in the short term, obviously it's great if people improve these ventilators uh, or come up with new things and make it freely available, that's, that's, that's great for everyone. But then once the, the crisis is over, however, you know, what happens to that intellectual property at that point? That is something you'd have to think about. And then, you know, there's also um, the issue that can come up of kind of cross-contamination of other intellectual property with your own intellectual property. And if the the plan is you can use this for a short period of time, then you have to cease using it. And you want to continue in the ventilator space after that, that license is passed. Um, how are you going to make sure that you're not your your new work isn't being contaminated by the stuff you got um, through the through through this license, and so um, it, it's it's not obviously without issues. I'm not obviously not trying to discourage people from taking this and moving forward because I think it is a great thing. But you know, there are things you just would want to think about as you're moving forward. Well, that's a great point. Uh, you know, if you are if you do make an improvement on these plans say you've 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 downloaded the the schematics you've you've seen an area where you can save considerable time or increase performance at the end of this crisis who does that improvement belong to does it belong to everyone including medtronic i mean i think there's in, in likely in terms of ownership it's it's going to belong to the company that that created it but there may be a question as to who has the rights to use it um it's clear under at least the the permissive license that anyone will have a right to use it in the same way that medtronic is making its ip available for purposes of this you know this particular crisis and so uh, in that respect it'll certainly be available for everyone to use when the crisis ends i mean arguably that those licenses should also um, equally uh, go away in the same way that that the Medtronic license will go away. But just like you know, Medtronic is making its stuff available and risking the possibility of losing control over it long term, the same kind of would be true once you make your stuff available to everyone as well, right? So it's maybe less a loss of ownership and potentially just more of a loss of control. And with some things like you know software code or certain things, there may not be the availability of, of stuff like patent protection or or um, and so you might be looking for things like trade secret protection or otherwise, but you're not once that's out there, that's gone, right? You can't get that back. So you know there, that that'll just have to be taken into account. Finally, have you heard of other entities out there? I mean, again, it's it's uh, it's worthy of applause for Medtronic to do this. Hopefully, it will save lives. And I wonder if there are other Medtronic, excuse me, other medical device companies out there that uh, are saying we should do something similar. Is this something that you're you're hearing others considering or doing? One thing that I actually am aware of is um, in the pharmaceutical space, uh, company AbbVie, who you may be familiar with, uh, there has been some, I don't know if there's necessarily concrete evidence yet, but there's been some speculation that their, one of their HIV medications, Kaletra, might be useful for treating, not curing, um, but treating COVID-19. But I think that's still very much up in the air. But um, based on that, um, my understanding is that AbbVie was kind of agreeing to forego um, enforcement of its intellectual property rights to allow countries to manufacture Kaletra for treatment. Excuse me, I shouldn't say countries, probably other generic companies companies to manufacture Kaletra for treatment of COVID-19. And I've seen some articles in the, in the press about that, um, because I think that, you know, if it, it does turn out to be a viable treatment, um, it's unlikely that um, AbbVie alone could meet world demand for that. And so I think that they've um, 
considered kind of making that available um, to the public, at least from what I from what I understand. So um, we do have examples of that, and I I do think that if um, we start getting confirmed treatments or confirmed vaccines, it wouldn't surprise me if maybe not that people are going to make them all available for free, but that you'll see a lot of pressure to um, at least make it available at a low cost, if not for free. Uh, because there, there is always, of course, the, the possibility of government intervention if the government wants to uh, step in and, and, and take over or take use things. Those are always possibilities. And I think companies are aware of that and so um, would not want to put themselves in that situation, um, both from a you know, legal perspective and then also um, you know, publicity and PR perspective as well. No, that's a great point. This does feel like something more you'd see on on the pharma side uh, more recently. Something like this is 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 it more common to have this more sharing on the pharma side, or or is ABV's consideration as unique as Medtronic's actions? I mean, I think it it's maybe not quite as unusual as on the medical device side, because you do have instances where in public health emergencies, um, pharmaceutical companies have been willing in, certain, in some countries or otherwise to make their uh, products available for free or at very low cost. And uh, there's only really been a few instances where I think the government has really um, threatened about stepping in. I can, I can recall that after 9-11, when there was the anthrax scare, there was some concern about there being um, enough... Um, believe it was Cipro, but I could be wrong, but I believe it was Cipro to treat um, people. And there was talk about the U.S. government perhaps using its essentially like they have, it's not quite eminent domain, but it's essentially equivalent rights to maybe make other people make it. And then I, I think in response to that at the time, the price of Cipro and the manufacturing capacity, like it was all, it all kind of worked itself out so that the government didn't have to do that. And, and I think that's not just the, the U.S. government, but other governments is that sometimes they may threaten to do that. I think most of them don't want to do that. And so, you know, the hope is that the companies will act kind of responsibly on their own initiative <laughs> at a certain point. Excellent. Well, this has been very informative. I appreciate the, uh, the broader context and uh, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Okay. Thank you for having me. Next, I had the chance to speak with Lee Teschler. Lee's an executive editor here at WTWH Media. I'm a writer. I talk to engineers about what they know, but Lee's actually an engineer who writes and edits and has been doing it for a long time. So I was excited to get his professional perspective, not only on Medtronic's moves, but on the broader interest by non-medtech folks to work to develop new ventilators. For those outside of the medtech industry, they're seeing ventilators as something that they can create, they can help fill the need, but there's a lot of complexity to it. And Lee's been writing on this topic for Design World, MDO, and our other publications. He's not asking people to curb their enthusiasm or not to help out, but he is asking them to learn a bit more about how the FDA regulates medtech. This is something that is new, or unknown at least to a lot of other industries, and Lee's been at the forefront really of pointing out the complexities of FDA regulation. So I asked Lee directly about Medtronic's release of the Puritan plans. Just how helpful are they to engineers and others who may be trying to help by developing new ventilators? Let's hear what Lee has to say. Hey Lee, thanks for joining us. First question, have you ever really seen anything like this, uh, a reaction like this where folks, engineers, manufacturers have wanted to move into the med tech space? Never before have I seen anything like this. I think the, the efforts you've seen so far are well-intentioned, but a little bit misguided in some cases, particularly for some of what they call the open source ventilator designs, which are basically ventilators put together in people's garages and uh, workshops. 
to actually use a thing like that in a, in a hospital requires that it be put together by a manufacturer who's gone through FDA procedures. What, how revealing, how helpful are these documents? Can they, can they really help someone who hasn't built a ventilator build a better one or, or build one or create one? Does it, does it really help designers out there improve upon or replicate the, the Puritan ventilator device? Well, uh, I've looked at the files that uh, Medtronic has made available, and uh, there are a lot of them, and they they cover a lot of territory. I mean, all the assembly procedures for the subsystems are there. Uh, the bill of materials are there. The SolidWorks files are there for the uh, structural parts. Uh, the plans for the test fixtures are there. I mean, all that stuff is there. What you don't find is anything about the supply chain. For example, I'm pretty sure that somebody else assembles the printed circuit boards and, and stuffs them for Medtronic. But I don't know who that is, and I don't think that's spelled out in the, the documents. And presumably, if you're going to make one of these, um, you'd like to know who it, who that subcontractor is. I don't think they say that. Um, and there's probably similar uh, things in place uh, for some of the subassemblies on the, the ventilator. I just uh, They just don't make reference to that. The other thing you don't find in there is, okay, they'll tell you what the assembly procedures are, but they don't tell you what their assembly line looks like. Uh, you, they don't tell you what how many stations there are. They don't tell you what goes on at each station. Um, that whole assembly chain is kind of left for you to, to discern on your own. So they're they're sharing the d- designs for the house, but not necessarily how how we put up the wall and how and, and that's a very very basic example. But there's a lot more to it than what you might find in the actual designs of the device. Well, if you were going to use these files to actually put one of these together, I I would say you have a lot of work in front of you yet. Have you got a sense that from folks that they're looking at the documents that they're I mean you 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 work outside of medtech. Primarily, do you get a sense, I guess, more broadly from non-medtech people as to what they want to do, what they can do in developing these ventilators, and, and more specifically, they have talked to anyone about the Medtronic release and, and sort of what, whether it's been helpful to them or not? Well, I've already had uh, one guy ask me where he could download the files, so I do have that data point. Um, but the sense I get, though, is that there's a lot of people that are outside of the the medical area that are only starting to look at this for the first time. And I suspect that they don't really have a feel for some of the things you have to do to actually manufacture in the, in the in medical area. Because I, I, for example, I'm not sure that uh, they know what current good manufacturing practice regulations are. Um, and if they don't know what those are, you know, they've, they've got a lot of work in front of them before they can actually go and do this. Just lastly, uh, are people surprised? I know you've been you've been uh, upfront in pointing out in your coverage, like, look, this you don't just build these devices and again put them in a clinical setting. There's a, there's multitudes of testing that needs to be done to ensure they're safe. Is this a, is this a surprise to people outside of the sector? How much review actually goes on? What how much testing actually goes on on medical devices and, and ventilators specifically? Well, the uh, the sense I have of it is that there's a lot of people out there that are they have very good intentions, but they're just clueless about this area. And I have heard 
one ventilator manufacturer make a suggestion on that that point. Um, he said that if you want to help, but rather than make ventilators, um, there are parts shortages that the existing ventilator suppliers are running into. And um, it would be more helpful if you can make those parts to do that. And if you look at the emergency authorizations from the FDA, they, they, they seem to be allowing a lot of leeway in terms of substitution parts uh, to get these things assembled. So I, that sounds like it might be a little bit more uh, practical for those who want to pitch in. That's great advice. Excellent. Well, Lee, thank you for uh, for your insights and for the context. It's great to uh, to be able to tap onto your tap into your expertise. Appreciate you being on the podcast. Sure thing, Tom. Well, those are great insights by Lee. Very happy to have him on the program. I hope to have him back. Then finally, I wanted an inside medtech view. So I spoke with Scott Thielman. Scott is the CTO of Product Design Studios. Scott says he's been playing the role of a wet blanket for many of those folks outside of MedTech who really want to move into the ventilator industry and make something happen and do some good. So Lee and Scott agree on that point. Both are telling others to be careful, to be mindful of what the FDA wants from its devices. But Scott's a little more optimistic about what Medtronic's release of its purient plans means for MedTech. He does see it having an impact. He does see it as a real laudable move by Medtronic. But of course, there are some caveats. So, but will it expedite the development of ventilators? I'll let him answer that question in this interview. Well, Scott Thielman, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, happy to be here, Tom. So, Scott, the news of the week is Medtronic's release of its designs for its Puritan ventilator. This is a, an unusual move for MedTech. What was your uh, what was your opinion of uh, Medtronic's decision to do that? I think it's a it's a very laudable move. I mean, from the from the top level, you've got a company releasing uh, essentially confidential information in an effort to help staunch uh, a, a pand- pandemic, and they're basically admitting that hey, there might be greater manufacturing capabilities out there than what when than what they can produce. And it and it's no small undertaking just to release this documentation. They're on their third third tranche of files due to be out uh, tomorrow. Uh, a ventilator is is a very complex piece of equipment with hardware and software interactions, and uh, I, I would advise the the groups and the teams across the country and the world that are working on their own respiratory ventilator and emergency vent projects to be downloading that data and kind of looking at how a a, a real medical device company addresses those risks. And 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 manages their their requirements and their and their testing. It's it, it's a great uh, piece of information reference material for those groups. Is the information contained in there? Does the information contained in there really help jumpstart an effort of someone who is trying to build a ventilator, or or are these designs and these processes just so complex that it's you know it's interesting information to read, but it, it might not be something you can apply to making a, a ventilator today. Well, I think it's you know the the ventilator they've released is uh, is a fairly high end, um, from what I can tell, critical care vent. That's the type we need, and on, on the front line. So first order, if there are manufacturers in uh, you know either other medical device manufacturers or manufacturers in in uh, kind of tangential or parallel uh, industries like automotive, they can switch and and build this ventilator. Uh, you've got essentially the the device master record and kind of the blueprint for how how to do that and and so that's a maybe one of the faster ways to get a fully featured vent uh to to market and and in, in, in a useful way but beyond that 
like like I was saying, I think the folks can look at the at, at, at kind of this is kind of a blueprint for how a real medical ventilator is is built. And while fundamentally the the simple you know a, 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 in some sense a ventilator is a simple product when you when you break it down to the core function, uh, but medical devices are often simple when it's that core function acting as it's intended. It's all the additional uh, safety mechanisms that go into making them safe that are that are not not necessarily obvious, and and that's where folks can spend some time and looking at how how a, a Medtronic mitigated some of the risks and and bring some of that thinking to their project. And you wrote an article for Medical Design and Outsourcing about what's being called uh, the MacGyver ventilators. You know, just those out there who see ventilators maybe as a simple machine, but perhaps don't appreciate the complexity. What is your overall take of the uh, the broader effort outside of the med tech industry to try to create ventilators and, and fill what is uh, a, a dire need? Yeah, and, and this is a place where you know, I have some ambivalence because I love the enthusiasm that I'm seeing from these teams and these groups that want to use their technical skills to make a difference, impact and save lives. That's what, that's what my company is about. That's why we created the design firm that I, that I work with is we want to harness those skills for good. Now, realities are that it's virtually impossible to bring a medical device kind of from the the drawing board all the way through development, through design verification and validation activities to a point where, where you know, a regulatory body would give it the thumbs up in a, you know, in a three week, three or four week time window. So it's very difficult to start from, start from scratch and have an immediate impact. And that's not even, I didn't even mention, you also have to manufacture enough of these to have an impact. So I think the things that are, are are maybe more effective is kind of the reuse of existing medical equipment, existing respiratory equipment, and and, and the FDA made reference to this in their emergency use use authorization uh, letter that they released, where they're looking at using anesthesia devices, BiPAP devices, uh, to turn them into if you can use that in a more critical care ventilator scenario. Great. Let's look at doing that, and we'll make a we'll make a pathway to, uh, to to accommodate that. And I think that's where some of the some of the groups, especially the ones that are using like uh, maybe a BiPAP machine. I, I saw that uh, there's a, a medical group out in in New York looking at doing that very thing, turning BiPAP into a into a more full featured ventilator to fill the gap in New York. There's, uh, but there's multiple groups like MIT, and I just learned about one at Washington State University that's that are converting a, what will be an ambu bag or basically a, a, a bag, a typical bag resuscitator system into a ventilator. Those have have their challenges, but at least at the core of them is is an approved medical device ambu bag itself. I, I think those could have an impact um, in a sooner horizon than kind of a completely from scratch uh, ventilator d- development effort. And, and so I think the, the real impact is in, in the immediate time frame is going to be made by procurement facilities, you know, ramping up production of existing ventilatory products, 
and and uh, uh, maybe expanding the, where those what those devices could be manufactured could have a bigger impact in the near term than trying to get a, a new design all the way through a, a development process in a way that we feel is safe. Just tell us a little bit about your product design group and how are you, you you're, you're, you hit upon it in your last answer, but how, how are you advising people who come to you to sort of uh, to, to help out? What's the most effective way for them to help? Right. And we're getting hit with requests uh, all the time. Our, our role at my company's product creation studio, and we have a focus on medical device development and have invested a lot in a, in, in a ISO 1345 compliant quality system for managing those, those development efforts. So a lot of the folks in the Seattle region, Seattle area, you know, we're on the list when they want to talk, uh, you know, life science, uh, hardware development. But the uh, so, so we're getting hit with requests all over the board from protective uh, equipment, what can be done to ventilator aspects to uh, diagnostics. And and so we're trying to respond the, the, the best way we can. And we're often getting these we're often the piece of the puzzle. That unfortunately does take some time. It's it's the part where hey we got this working on the bench, but now how do we how how do we get you know the the ASTM testing done and how do we put this into a package that's ready for the market that, that you know that we can actually deploy and and so unfortunately we're often in the seat where we kind of have to throw a little bit of uh, of a wet blanket on on the on the entrepreneurs in terms of in terms of schedule and budget. Uh, so, so we're just doing our best to counsel and be strategic, trying to trying to focus folks' energy in a way that can be meaningful. And and even if even if some of these you know therapies or diagnostics can't make it to help on the front line, perhaps they can help us manage this. You know, God forbid, in in in, in six months if we're experiencing a you know a, a, a second surge or or additional. Uh, you know, challenges over, over the pandemic. So it's it's just, we feel like our role is really trying to be good counselors to uh, what can be realistically done in a reasonable timeline, re- reasonable budget. That is a great point and sad one to end on, but, you know, we, we're focusing on the here and now in the next month or two, but uh, this need may not be going away for uh, for quite some time. Right. Sadly, that may be the case. Well, Scott, thanks for your uh, for your insights and for your work and for joining us in the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much. It was great to be here and participate. Well, that's a wrap. If you have any thoughts on this move by Medtronic, or if you have any ideas for future episodes of Device Talks Weekly, please reach out to me. I am on Twitter. I am at MedTechTom. You can reach Chris Newmarker. He is at Newmarker, as in a new marker, on Twitter. We're both on LinkedIn, and we're both reachable via email. I am T. Salemi at wtwhmedia.com and chris is cnewmarker at wtwhmedia.com thanks again for tuning in it's been a great effort so far our first four episodes have gone really well we really appreciate all of you who are listening we would love you to tell your friends about it please share this on social media include us both in those conversations we'd love to be part of those discussions finally subscribe to device talks weekly so it comes to you directly every week And of course, tune in next time for another great episode of Device Talks.